we all make mistakes. Even the most successful investors make mistakes and have lost a ton of money along the way. But the only real mistake is one that you don't learn from. I think Steve Jobs said that or someone. Uh, it's something that our viewers ask us about all the time. So we're so transparent about our investments, both the winners and the losers, that we've talked about it before. But today, we're going to focus on what we've learned along the way, investing mistakes that we'll never forget, and the experience that we've gained from them. Today on Dumb Money, the number one investing mistake we'll never make again. This is Dumb Money Live. Hey there, Dave here, along with Chris and Jordan. We are Dumb Money. Welcome to Dumb Money Live today, exposing our biggest investing mistakes. Uh, if you like that kind of transparency, a quick like to this video would not be a mistake. Chris, Jordan, uh, let's talk about why this is such an important episode today, because I was trying to narrow down my list of uh, bad investments over the years. And some of them, like I was telling you, Chris, I don't think I learned from them. They're, they're stupid mistakes, the miscalculations, not paying attention, uh, time-sensitive trades that didn't go the right way, a good old-fashioned typo in the uh, investing app. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I've learned to pay more attention. But there are also those, like, life lesson type mistakes that, uh, you know, I, I have two specific examples I want to talk about. Uh, it, and it basically, for me, is an entire category of investing that is not right for me. But how do you guys... Think about the sharing, you know, sharing these kind of stories. How do you think that's going to help our community? I once read an interview with, I think, Wall Street's oldest and most prestigious quant fund and hedge fund. And they said that their number one selling proposition when meeting with big pension funds to try to get their money is that they have the longest running graveyard of mistakes. And that graveyard of mistakes, of things they have done and will not do again, saves them and their clients so much money going forward, right? Because, you know, other hedge funds are out there and they're like, well, what about this quant strategy? What about this quant strategy? You're like, well, we did that in 98, right? We did that in 2006 and we know exactly why that doesn't work. And he said that that was their most valuable asset as a company. And I thought, I, I just thought that was profound. And I thought about that and I was like, you know what, that relates to being an investor because as an investor, it's been investing and trading and trying things for decades. You slowly learn what not to do <laughs> over time. <laughs> I think today I'm learning not to wear a white shirt underneath a collared shirt because it's messing with my neck here and I can't get <laughs> something I'll never do it's this not one of those, uh, japanese shirts that you used to wear with the uh, built-in undershirt right that's what the i was gonna built -in ask undershirt would not have this problem because at least it would be even this is you had a whole decade be... i think where you were wearing built-in undershirts i still have a couple of those and i think they're great <laughs> I, I i actually almost i i regret not wearing one today um anyway all right. So, so yeah, I, listen, I, I think there's nothing more important. Dave, you got to learn from your mistakes. So come on. You got to learn. I know. I know. That's the thing. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. there's things that you learn from the ones that are like actual thought errors, like process, like your way of thinking. But then there's other just dumb stuff, like the time when I had a, uh, like covered calls written on something that, you know, I kind of forgot that I had them and I had my stock called away from me and had a huge tax hit because of it. it it's, yeah. it's stock that I wanted to keep holding, you know, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, but you won't do that. I mean, these are even the process errors. You'll learn from them and you won't do them again. But like, I mean, I I don't know. I I think of today's episode and in my mind, it's it's part one of a hundred because I feel like there's a hundred of these episodes that we can do. There are a hundred critical mistakes I've made over the past 25, 30 years that make me a better investor today. And I, I think this might be one of our most important episodes and i'm just gonna you know jordan i want to hear what yours is i'm actually super curious but there's one that's been sticking in my head for me for a very long time and dude i'm telling you every time i make a trade i think about it it's the maybe the most important lesson i've ever learned as an investor but yeah jordan, i've made a ton of mistakes um and listen to Dave about, you know, just options mistakes or things like that. I'm always buying the wrong duration or, you know, buying the wrong strike. And so little things like that are annoying, but they're not my biggest mistake. I feel like my biggest mistake is the one that I knew not to make. Um, I knew ahead of time that I shouldn't buy it. Um, you guys were excited about it. You bought it. Um, we all lost money in it and it's we work. Um, I mm, think that it was one. at the top of the hype cycle it was, um, I knew it wasn't, it couldn't ever be a profitable, like big time business. I mean, sure, could they eke out a profit and maybe turn into something? Maybe, but the valuation versus, you know, the, the hype that was going on at the time, um, you know, as I was making the wire, I'm like, there's no, this is the dumbest, why am I even doing this? And I knew not to do it. I got caught up in the hype. I got caught up in the, in the pressure to just invest in it and um, it ended up being, pro- I mean, and that's the funny thing. It wasn't even my biggest investing loss, right? Um, but it's something that I knew not to do. And so it sticks with me. See, but that hype cycle was so, there were so many things that that seemed on paper to be great because yeah, it's like, oh, they have all Ashton, this real estate. and then Ashton Kutcher though, you know that it's at peak hype, right? And so when he's on, you know, some late night show talking about, you know, I mean, just the intangibles of Newman and all of these things that. Yeah. Uh, and we got in, we got in as a pre-IPO back. It, it was literally at the hype. You know, it, it started to fall apart before it IPO'd even. Yeah. And I just remember that the whole, that they changed it from WeWork and they were just starting to call it the We Companies and they were going to do like all of this magical stuff that I, I liked the fact that startups could use them to be an office without having to have an office manager and having to have a long-term lease and having to have all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah, it's a great we, little business, right? And there are, there are tons of companies. There are tons of like little regional companies that do the exact same thing. And they were going to be the nationwide version of this uh, small regional office share type uh you know, and then they, and like you said, they had, uh, uh, what was it called, Chris? We Life or We Living or? Uh, that was, that was, yeah. I mean, I, but ju- he's trying to do that right now, actually, Jordan. Right. I think he raised a ton of money for it. The, the, to challenge the thought a little bit, I think the hype cycle was part of our investment thesis and the hype cycle worked for a long time. It was working for SoftBank until it wasn't. And that was kind of, we had been doing that for a little bit and had probably more luck uh, chasing the hype cycle and benefiting from it than the few that we got in too late, like we were, that were a bust. Um, You know, 
it, the fundamentals didn't have to be there for the hype cycle to work. The hype cycle in and within itself, the fact that SoftBank could pe keep pumping money into these companies and pumping their valuations into IPO, as long as you're in early, you win. It was a pyramid scheme. It was an institutionalized financial pyramid scheme that worked for so many on Wall Street for such a long period of time. And we benefited from it as well. We, you just don't know when it's going to fall apart. And I think yeah. everybody that was in on that pyramid scheme, most were also in on WeWork. And they were happy to take the loss because the loss was nothing relative to the gains. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is when they forward. started to hype it as like some sort of um, technology company. Um, I knew it wasn't. It. I knew that there was no way. So like around the same time we invested in Unity. Um, and I was super excited about Unity. What I should have done is just invested twice as much money in Unity yeah. and zero in WeWork. Well, the difference is that Unity was part of the same. I'm gonna where they're gonna get money pumped into them, hyped up. But at the but same was, time, no, they were actually yeah. But the, at the same time, there was you know actual use cases. You know, like uh, you know, basically they're a 3D engine, right? And beyond just gaming, there were tons of applicable uses. And they're an actual technology company. I think this perfectly kind of illustrates the differences between your investing styles, though, because Chris yeah. was all in on the hype cycle, unfortunately couldn't get out because there's no liquidity in the right. private markets as this thing is falling apart. And Jordan is more interested in companies that have real business and fundamentals and sales and profits, where Chris is like, I don't care if they never make money as long as I can make money during the hype of this thing going up. Yeah, that's totally. why Chris would invest in GameStop and Jordan would run away from GameStop. Correct. <laughs> you know, there's well, how do you feel about SpaceX? Because listen, let's talk. We can we can talk about this. Uh, we were squeezed out of SpaceX this week. We were an early investor in SpaceX and the fund that we were in uh without our permission. They didn't need our permission. They got the permission of other investors and they got a majority vote decided to sell our shares the entire fund of spacex and we're we i was i'm like half pissed off about it but the other half of me similar to we work love spacex great company bright future is it really worth you know half a trillion dollars or more based on you know at, at what point does it get really difficult to start monetizing space if we don't have some meaningful, you know, leap in technology that allows us to do space at a reasonable cost and do more in space. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard people that were ex-SpaceXers talking about the fact that it's going to be difficult to come up with business plans that are prudent after we get through these next few cycles of what SpaceX is doing and the other mm -hmm. space companies as well. So I think right now they're partially where they are because of the hype cycle. I'd still like to be in SpaceX because I feel like the IPO will happen and it will be spectacular and it will be irrational, which I love as yeah. an investor. But now we're out. We don't own SpaceX anymore. And I'm I'm kind of the same. I kind of am I'm I'm half disappointed that we're not still in SpaceX. Um those I'm I'm half disappointed, but we did, you know, a good return. We were only in it for a few years, and it's better return than most of the investments that we made over the that 
two, three year uh, time frame. But my biggest thing is I, I, I wished we had been able to hang on until either the IPO or even for me, I, I would love to have had shares of uh, uh, the satellite. What's Starlink. the satellite thing called? Starlink. Oh, Starlink. Starlink. I wish I had shares of Starlink. I wish they'd spun off some Starlink. I keep those shares and then I could sell SpaceX into some liquidity event or some other fund that's hoping to acquire some shares. Yeah, that 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 was that was always the goal, right? And I think there's probably a lot more upside in SpaceX than we were able to get out of it and it is somewhat upsetting to me. But that's like not said, your your worst no, investment your no. thing you're going to learn from what 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 did you learn what, what's your investment and what did you learn from it so back when i had a hedge fund for a very short period of time before i was forced to close it my very first hedge fund investment was in a struggling toy company publicly traded called jacks pacific okay now jacks pacific had been doing terrible for years the management was terrible. Everything about the company was terrible. But that was the year that Frozen came out. And Jack Pacific just happened to have the license to make Elsa dolls. And they had one Elsa doll in particular that was a larger Elsa, Elsa doll. I think it was a singing Elsa doll. And it became the number one toy in the world going into the holiday season. I had identified that uh, before that really became publicly known and made a fairly large levered investment in Jack Pacific. I thought that I had covered all of my bases. This was a needle mover for the company. This was perhaps the biggest thing. It was the biggest thing that the company had ever done. Uh, it was just the perfect storm for them. And the morning of earnings, the stock announced, just as I had anticipated, they blew out earnings, increased expectations. The stock was up nearly 30% pre-market. I'll never forget that feeling it was my first trade in the fund. I was like, this is going to be great for all my investors. It's doing exactly what I said they would do. Then the market opened. And within about three minutes, that stock went from being up 30% to even. By the end of the trading day, it was down almost 30%. Wow. I was flabbergasted. Had no idea what had happened. What happened? Volume was through the roof. I did not know what had happened for, I think, five or six weeks until an SEC registration report came out. And as it turns out, the largest institutional shareholder of Jack Specific had been planning to sell their shares for a very long time. They were so frustrated with this company. They lost so much money in this company. But the company was a small cap. It was illiquid. And it was really difficult to dump shares of a company that was spiraling, especially when you're the largest shareholder. So on that day, a day of strength for the company, the biggest day in the company's history, they chose to sell their shares into the strength of that huge earnings report. And they sold 10% of all of the company's outstanding shares, which they had owned in a single day. 
Okay. So what's the lesson there? The lesson there is, first of all, there's no such thing as a sure thing when you're an investor and you just don't know what you don't know. There's always something. There's the macro environment, right? There could be something crazy happen politically. There could be something that the CEO of the company does that nobody would have anticipated, a scandal, right? Um, there could be a lawsuit that comes out of nowhere. There could be a product recall that happens right in the middle of your trade that nobody could have anticipated. Or in the case that I was involved with, there could be the number one owner of that company, a hedge fund that f decides for no other reason, for no reason that having to do with their current business, but for something that was done in the past or something about their management team they didn't like to dump all of their shares on the market, no matter how good they're doing, no matter how good that earnings report is. So you don't know what you don't know. And that will always be my biggest lesson as an investor because you know sometimes you just want to go all in on something and that knowing that creates pause because i lost 100% of the money that my fund invested in that trade that day and you know sometimes it takes losing money and especially when you're losing other people's money <laughs> that's a lesson you never forget I thought your lesson was going to be even opening a hedge fund in the first place was your that's, biggest, that's another, biggest regret. That is another episode, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's a good episode. Well, for me, like I said, my biggest mistake was basically an entire sector, an entire industry that I'm going to stay away from. It's not right for me. It's not, not, not to say that some people aren't going to be wildly successful with this, but for me, I'm not going to be investing in a retail startup, like a physical real world business. Because even with the best idea, the best location, the best product, unlimited demand, you still have to deal with expensive rents and expensive employee costs and the possibility of, like you mentioned, Chris, something coming out of the blue, like a pandemic or cyclical demand or the hidden costs. We did a whole show on this on the original Dumb Money channel, talking about one of these that I'm going to talk about. But it's it's the little things like the cleaning service, the laundry, the plumbing, electricity, like all these things that can go wrong become the perfect formula for razor thin margins with the, the like built in potential of no profit, even losses. Uh, and the two examples I have, one is is actually a success story, but but I can see how easily it would not be. Uh, so a, a friend of mine bought a bar with me. We part, we partnered up and bought a bar and it was not exactly a startup. The big thing I'm not going to do is a startup uh, ever again, a startup physical location, never again. But this is, this is a bar that had been around for 10 years before 10 years before what actually 60 years. It was, it's been around for forever. Like at least, a decade before I was even born and I'm old, right? Uh, the owner wanted to move on. We, we got what we thought was a good deal. Uh, the initial purchase, not that bad, but all of the improvements and the ongoing expenses means this business that is doing well and busy all the time took years to get to that point of uh, breaking even. And the second is way more recent and is still, still trying to, struggle to find its way. And, and Chris, I know you're a major player in this and that's the ice cream store.
where we partnered with a huge TikTok YouTube star, 10 million followers at the time, more now. Uh, the, he had to be the best known ice cream creator in the world. And we opened an ice cream store with him. Uh, great product. He came up with this amazing experience. We had a great location, a flagship type store in New York City. Uh, we had the built-in viral marketing component. The problem is the rent was just too damn high. And selling ice cream in New York City in a beautiful historic building, uh, just you're not going to be able to sell enough ice cream. And that was kind of always our thought. We were hoping we would break even with the store and have all the ancillary things uh, be the, the real moneymaker there. Uh, Breaking so even's tough to do. And, you know, you things happen like the only other major store in the street next to you closes randomly. And, yes. they're, and, they, and they, they're a big chain. And now you have issues with the street. You know, New York never fully came back. Uh, New York is more dangerous now than it was a few years ago. And a lot of employees don't like taking the train home to Jersey uh, late at night or to Brooklyn late at night. So it's hard to get employees to stay late. Um, there's just a hundred problems. You know, you're stuck in long-term leases. You can't long-term lease. That, that's the thing. You can't, you can't make a quick pivot and say, no, Oh, well, I, I, this, this store is too expensive. Let me downsize. No, you're, you're locked into a lease. Uh, we're, now we're working through a strategy to pivot to more of an events driven pop-up where we don't need a physical location anymore. Uh, and then also leveraging the brand equity and and the creator to to do consumer packaged goods and, and those sort of things. But the actual physical brick and mortar store trying to be the the loss leader, I, I don't want to lose money doing a loss leader ever again. That's my yeah. that's my don't be a loss leader, especially when it comes to brick and mortar retail. That's my lesson. Sign me up for that one, Dave. <laughs> uh, I, I, I fully back you with that lesson. And listen, there are, these these lessons are super important. I, I we we're, we're, we have to do more of these episodes. They're super important. Um, but yeah, that's it, guys. If you guys have you know a lesson that you've learned from, let us know, and uh, you know, email us your biggest trading lesson at was it high at dumb money TV, and maybe we'll highlight it on the next one of these episodes so we can include one of our communities biggest investment lessons as well. well put it in, I'm, I'm looking at the live chat right now um but put it in the the replay uh chat because that's a little yes. more permanent and we'll be able to see it um because i think that these kind of stories are really I, I think i think you can learn as much from other people's mistakes as you learn from your own yeah so i, I have something i want to talk about and get your guys opinion on it's a hot subject matter right now and i think it's what a lot of guys are thinking, but are afraid to say publicly. Um, so this whole Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing. Yes, I think I think if this thing works, and I think it's more likely to work than not work. I think that Travis Kelsey is the one that's going to blow up Taylor Swift. And let me just let me just make my case. I know it sounds ridiculous. Wait, do Taylor Swift? Well, I think Travis Kelsey is the one that's going to further expand and blow up. Taylor Wait a minute. Swift. You think you think he's going to bring his fans over to the T-Swift music side? I think it's the opposite. 
D-Swift is going to, has already, we've already seen ticket sales exploding for his games because Swifties want to now be into football. And TikTok is blowing up with, with people showing, hey, hey, Swifties, here's how football works. Okay, fine. But for the most part, half of the population, I love Taylor Swift. I think she's great. I kind of study her as a business person. But most guys just could completely care less about Taylor Swift. And but you think that sudden, her enjoying football is going to make people want to listen to her music? And by the way, I don't she, think so. she, I don't think she's never right. going to have a concert that's not sold out. Let me finish my thesis, okay? Let me finish <laughs> my thesis. I think that Travis Kelsey is everything that Taylor Swift wants to be for herself but can't. And let, uh, let hear me out. Hear me out. Travis Kelsey has all the fame, okay? He has all of the success, two Super Bowl rings, all right? He is disciplined just like Taylor Swift, okay? This guy has done everything right just like Taylor Swift. But he also has the swagger. He has the moves. He is cool in a way that Taylor Swift just knows she could never be. And I don't rip her for that. I think, listen, Taylor Swift says, okay, that she is smart, she is hardworking, okay, and she is imaginative, and she is she is all those things, okay. She is the greatest. But Travis Kelsey, in some ways, is all of that and more, okay, in his world. And I think she is locked in. I think this is the one, okay. I think this is the one that challenges her. This is the one where she sees all the things that she wants okay and she also sees the things that she thinks she needs so i think this is probably going to work and i think this is going to be the u.s version of the royal family okay and yes just when we start to think that taylor swift can't possibly get any bigger taylor swift plus this guy travis kelsey sucks in the other 50 percent of the u.s population into this Taylor Swift universe, and yes, I think Travis Kelsey is going to blow up Taylor Swift to be even bigger than she is today, and as an investor, that's super intriguing, because now I'm going to keep even a closer eye on every single thing that Taylor Swift wears, where she goes, what she talks about, because this woman is about to become so big even bigger than she is today because of Travis Kelsey, that anything she does, anything she says, anything she wears, anywhere she goes, she can single-handedly blow up a company, okay? In a good way or a bad way, all right? I'm with you and on so them being the we royal need to be family. Watching this. I'm with you on them being the royal family of America. I'm with you on brands that they're associated with being positively impacted. I think you have it backwards. I think the NFL benefits more than Taylor Swift benefits. I think I think both Taylor Swift and the NFL are doing just fine. And I think that actually, well, I think that 
I think they're doing fine. But did you see the uh, StubHub ticket report that just came out? How how many how they're sold out? It's new. It's a new games, thing. Games that haven't I, I been sold out are now sold out. Power in this. You know, if you're and they're playing the Jets this weekend, the Jets sales have also gone up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, maybe I... trailer Swiftsy is the uh, is the Brangelina name that's going around now. I do not like yeah, that. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll see. All I'm saying is this is a really this is a really big deal, and it's and it's not just a really big deal for Travis Kelsey and the NFL. It is also a really big deal for Taylor Swift because Taylor think- Swift needs to keep reinventing. Her. Remember this, guys. What do you think? What do you think the possibilities of this just being a publicity stunt? For- I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Again. If you look, if you look at Travis Kelsey, he has everything that she respects, but also everything that she doesn't have for herself. And you know, in the back of her head, she wants it. So, so like, like he is that guy. He is the fun guy. He is the, the, the spontaneous the fun, but, guy, but wholesome. And uh, his mom is a superstar. Like the. Yeah, it's yeah. a story that that works. That's why I'm, I'm kind of thinking: is this is this a publicity stunt? Is this no. just trying to grab headlines? No, no. Th- this is very this is very real, and I think this is going to be the. I think this is likely if he doesn't do anything super stupid or she doesn't. This is going to be the. This is going to be the thing. The timing. So is do, right. you, do you have a a trade here though? And by the uh, way, Matthew suggesting calls on Live Nation. Well, well, it's, well, here's what's so funny. Here's what's so great. I'm getting text today, just to, to back my point. I'm getting text today about what Taylor Swift wore at the game, okay? She was wearing, so I'll pull it up right now, but again, from a guy, okay, <laughs> that was that was watching this because he was watching football, okay? And, and, and he was watching Travis Kelsey, but... She was wearing, I think, uh, New Balance shoes. So you know, New Balance is owned by Nike, right? So I don't, I don't think it's a needle mover for Nike. Uh, but again, your brain has to be going. We have to keep even a closer eye on Taylor Swift shoes today than we were. I, I, I can't see a single picture of her wearing shoes. She, I'm telling you, now, whatever I, this I jacket text, that she's half wearing, that, uh. You wait, yeah, you just passed it. I think no, she's wearing New Balance shoes, and they're I think they're they're selling out because of it. Uh, I'll I'll try to pull. Where is? Did you say that New Balance is owned by Nike? I thought weren't they? I don't think that's correct. Oh wait, oh. here here's you still can't see her shoes. No, they, they have zoom ups on them. I'm telling you, you're looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't see. think that's correct, Chris. I think uh, I think they're a private company. Okay, so they're private. So there's no there's no trade. There's yeah. no trade there. Um, but we need to keep an eye on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey now. Okay, so now I did hear a rumor that uh, the outfit that Travis was wearing is based on her album cover, her 1989 um, album cover. Now, who makes this suit? By the way, I I want to wear that. Is that a is that like a painter's jean, like a white jean suit? 
I think it might be a jean suit with a with Taylor's 1989 colors painted on it. It's a Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> Big guys, That's, this thing is going to be. This thing I'm glad we brought away. that up and didn't make a whole show of it because the, uh, now that Vincent would have been a real disappointing trade. Now, now, okay, I did find somebody uh, New Balance 550s where to buy a pair. That that is at least a uh, article that's coming up on my image search. Is this I what you saw? Or New Balance. The, people are saying the thesis has played out before with Posh Spice and David Beckham. Um, yeah. But not not in the But US that's UK. Like I mean, nobody cared about that in America, right? Yeah. The, America's got a ton more people. Yeah, this is consumerism. Unless that was like zero. a European thing, and I, I just don't know the dynamics over there. Jordan, I'm with you. Would you agree, Jordan? We've never seen anything like this before here in the U.S. This is. I mean, the biggest from my childhood. You know who it was? It was uh, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. But but that was more niche than this. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, were, come on. Is this way is, bigger this than is so Faith big. was at the time. This is so big, guys. Like my at one point last night, my TikTok algo, and this is not an exaggeration. I'm pretty sure that four out of five videos it was showing me was Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift videos, and I was loving every second of it. It was hilarious, but it was like I had never had my, the amount of content never had that, that kind of concentration. Public. Right, well, it's it was the biggest story of the weekend, and it was obviously uh, I, I saw that uh, Pop Start on Today Show obviously had to cover that, and um, I don't know. So I want to. Announce... Is, is there another? I mean, I feel like we're now getting to just like randomly talk about stuff because the content portion of the show is over. <laughs> That's fine. But but let's make some TikToks because. Uh, <laughs> I think we need to talk about Target closing stores in major metro areas because of looting. Yeah, did you yeah, see nine the stores? Uh, but they've got thousands of stores, don't they? So it's not. They have like a huge store, number. They have like nine. It's like five thousand or I think yeah. six thousand. Yeah, yeah, so Between nine one and ten thousand sounds right. Yeah, so the nine stores <laughs> won't big... make a difference somewhere in that neighborhood. It's the right order of magnitude. It's not going to make a big difference, but what it does do is signal this is a major problem, uh, theft and loss, I, like something like $100 billion. Like I, A number yeah. that I could not even fathom is being attributed to that, not at Target, but across all brick-and-mortar retail. Sure. How long until stores also, require yeah. a credit card to enter? I would, like, I would, yeah, I would do no, like a bank I mean, and have look, two that's doors. What Amazon's doing with their with their you know concept stores, right? Is it? Yeah, got like at the airport, you can go to that stores. Amazon kiosk and you go in yeah. and pick up whatever you want. And it charges your card. If I were a retail store right now, I would do the like double door system like a bank has, where the first door lets you sure. in, the second door won't open until you slide your card. And you're like, come on in, take whatever you want. We'll just come on in. Yeah, we got company. you. We got you. We got the camera. Yeah. We've got the. Uh, we know who you are when we have a method of payment on file. Right. I I think it's great, but they got a lot of pushback for it. We'll see if anybody could actually pull that off on a national scale. Um, yeah, but they also I, got pushback I, for just trying to prevent theft by putting a bunch of stuff behind glass. Like, yeah, that seems. Dave, it seems like if you're running a retail store, you have to 
plan to have some degree of loss from theft and yeah, uh, they've got they measure those things and they've got I mean there are people that spend their entire careers figuring all that stuff out, but and it's well, been predictable. But we've right. just seen such a big uptick yes, in it that it's it's messing with their models. And I think what is really sad there is you end up in situations where, you know, just regular people that are, you know, just honestly trying to buy whatever they need to get along with their lives, like now they're severely inconvenienced. This is full circle to your hate of uh, of brick and mortar, Dave, which is which yeah. is great. It, it, um, really, no, it really all ties together. This is real. This is absolutely real. Uh, Target has come out. Uh, Dick Sporting Goods has come out. They're having to increase their loss reserves. It's having a meaningful impact on annualized net profit at these companies and any company that has stores, especially in urban areas of the country where this is prevalent. It's impacting their bottom line. So big, big pro for Amazon, right? Like Amazon yeah. doesn't not need to, as we see more of a disparity in pricing between brick and mortar and online only like Amazon, boy, that logistics investment that Amazon has made over the past 10 to 15 years is going to start to pay off in a really big way. Yeah. Cause if you're um, in a target desert is I'm going to refer to it now that uh, yeah. I guess Amazon's your, you subscribe and save all those things now. Yeah. Um, Oh, this is interesting. Uh, oh, someone's talking about the Hey Dude partnership. I, I do want to mention something because it's college football season, and I'm all in on college football this year. The uh, Hey Dudes came out with a really cool – I don't think it's going to move the needle necessarily, but they came out with an SEC okay, line of Hey Dudes. So a, a lot of the big – not all the SEC schools, but a lot of the SEC schools, maybe all of them, I don't know, maybe all of them plus – UT also, maybe inbound SEC schools are getting them, but they didn't do OU, but they did UT, they did Alabama. And these things, I'm seeing them all over social channels. Like people are going nuts for these school branded Hey Dudes. And what better place to do that in the SEC? Because you know Hey Dudes are all about Southern culture. Like, is it... Is it kind of scary that the how far that brand has gone down that road? Are they going to pigeonhole themselves as being a rural, backwoods, southern only, like to the extent that people are going to refuse to wear them outside of those areas? I'm I'm a little concerned about that. It it is a little concerning. I I've not been wearing them at all lately just because it became the soccer dad shoe yeah yeah so i, I oh, only if you're I in the south or in rural yeah. areas now i did but get it like, i got a brand new pair i'm going to take them and leave them in mexico uh they have like a cork uh footbed is that a new thing because i thought it was yeah. always just like like foam yeah. covered in cloth yeah the cork is good for the beach um dave th i think they're going to be really big like the his, the Hispanic demographic loves Hey Dudes as well, so you'll be you'll be great. I'll be right in. I'll be on style. Yeah, perfect. Um, leave them in Mexico. Is there something you want to announce today? <laughs> is the deal gone through? Where are you Not leaving quite. them, Dave? We're, we're still waiting. Uh, still waiting for. It, it's the dumbest thing. The paperwork. So I'm buying a vacation house in Mexico. Uh, and for the dumb money community to use. <laughs> yes it's it's gonna be a dumb money uh meetup headquarters um but 
making a, a real estate transaction in Mexico, it's right on the beach. So, you know, you're not allowed to technically own it. So it has to be owned by a trust that I'm the sole, you know, beneficiary of, but uh, the paperwork and the, the, the process, I found out that it was delayed by almost a month because the, the former owner's electric bill didn't include some ID number that it needed to prove something. And so they had to wait a month for the next bill to come out for that number to be printed on it or, or something just completely bizarre to me how, how a simple transaction takes months, but they warned me that it could take months. Guys, I, I know people are asking about Crocs now because I mentioned, hey, dudes, I have a lot of thoughts on Crocs, but I don't want to discuss in today's episode because I did. That seems more like a show. A, a show, and I promise our Discord community I would share my thoughts there. For and By the way, we don't charge for Discord, just free. Dumbmoney.tv forward slash Discord. But um, I want to formally share my research on Crocs because Crocs is down so much. And I know everyone's asking about it. Uh, I'm going to share my research. I'm going to share whether I made a trade or not. And then we should probably do an episode on it at some point too. But uh, go, I'll do that this week. Okay, guys. Uh, so if you're in Discord, uh, I'll share everything with you guys. God, I will never wear a white shirt under a... I don't understand the double shirt, especially it's going to be like 95 today. So why, why the double shirt? I, I felt like this shirt was too thin to wear alone. It's just like, it's Japanese. It's this Japanese fine fabric. And I, all and, of your clothes are Japanese. And, and I, <laughs> I act. There's a trend there. Why, why are you not investing in Japanese uh, uh, mercantile? I actually have a, at least one Japanese company that I'm assessing right now. <laughs> uh, Japan and Japan's heating up. Anyway, guys, all right, we should we should move we should move on. I I have a lunch. Uh, <laughs> Let's have. move on. I've got to go to lunch. I'm hungry. <laughs> it's all about it's all about Chris's lunch. Well, well, no, I mean Dave says he doesn't want to do episodes that are too long because nobody watches them. Now we're at like 42 minutes. So right. like I'm using lunch as the excuse, but you know it's getting a little long. I've got the theme Except song queued up. Cool, right, Dave, we can just chop off. The nonsense. I mean, we could, but I mean, this is this is like uh, dumb money gold here at the end. <laughs> if you guys stuck around to the end and you have not hit that like button yet, this is your last chance because that like button only only available for a limited time. So smash away if you're not subscribed. We're closing in on 100k. We're we're just a couple thousand away. So we really need non-subscribers to become subscribers. I'm guessing if you're watching right now at the at the end of our shenanigans, you are a subscriber, but tell a friend, tell if everybody watching right now were to tell five friends to subscribe, we would hit hundred K. That's all I'm saying. All right. We're done money. We'll see you next time.